humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio. How are you? How are you today, this Saturday? Not the last Saturday of May, but close to it. And I can't believe how quickly the spring is going by. Well, I'm here to talk with you about idealism and idealists, and we have another great show, another hour of pushing boundaries, of helping you to consider different perspectives about the world. The big interview is, is with mystery writer Rob Young, and you may wonder why I'll, I'd have a mystery writer on this show, but hold on, hold on. There's a little personal twist with Rob Young's newest book, The Sower. Stay tuned to learn more about that. Okay, And in my C block, as always, I'm going to talk about something I think that's important. It involves um, older white-color men. But I want to begin um, with our featured idealist, which actually this for this show, it's not a particular idealist, but rather it's a movement. And that would be the animal rights movement, something that for many people is invisible. But for others, it inspires them to change their eating habits the ways they view the world, and even for some others, it, envires, it inspires them to take great risks. I particularly wanted to highlight organizations that are doing undercover work by going into farms and animal processing facilities to surreptitiously take videos that they in turn share with the world. There are many of those organizations out there, but one such organization is named Mercy for Animals, which has an international presence with its investigative work and which has worked with Nestle, Purdue, that would be the Purdue chicken people, and Walmart to adopt animal welfare policies. <clears throat> Mercy for Animals was founded in 1999 by Milo Runkle, R-U-N-K-L-E. Its mission is to prevent cruelty to farmed animals and to promote compassionate food choices and policies. It is a $15 million organization, so this is not like fly, you know, uh, fly by the seat of your pants. And it launches undercover investigations um, where its investigators get hired by factory farms or animal processing factories, and then they document by hidden cameras horrific abuse, things that the horrible things that animals undergo. I now I understand, you know, remember, these are farmed animals. They're being used for human consumption. But there's horrible things that happen to them along the way. And what uh, Mercy for Animals does is they have this footage and then they share it with news organizations or post it to social media. Sometimes um, they report things to law enforcement. Here is a brief clip from an MFA, Mercy for Animals investigator named Kevin Leahy. Listen here about how this works. Before I became an undercover investigator, I was always curious about exactly how the conditions were at these farms. When I watched a dog being slaughtered for food in Korea, I decided to become more actively involved. The company that supplies chicken for restaurants like P.F. Chang's and Red Robin is under fire. Undercover investigators found widespread and blatant torture of animals. A new hidden camera investigation reveals horrific animal abuse. I wish I could open up all their cages and let them be free. So the next best thing I can do is expose the cruelty and, and show the world what's happening. Pressure is on to make changes. Representatives from Mercy for Animals protested today outside the company store. We are calling on Gordon Food Service to implement meaningful animal welfare standards. 
I'm calling from WNCN. This is in regards to some video of alleged animal abuse at one of your farms. I'd like to see major corporations step forward and say, what's happening now is wrong and we need to change it. Consumers demand it and the animals deserve better. We have worked with Nestle as well as Starbucks and they have both implemented meaningful animal welfare standards and it's time for Gordon Food Service to follow in their footsteps. Part of humanity is doing something good. That's really changing the world. I'm concerned about animal welfare, animal safety. Animals have hearts and souls and feelings just like we do as human beings. Now there's a discussion about animal welfare and that's what I want. That's, I want to see more of that. That's why I got into this work in the first place. Pretty powerful clip. And if you go to the Mercy for Animals website, and all you have to do is Google Mercy for Animals. If you go to the website, you'll see that it actively recruits what it calls, quote, hidden heroes. Undercover investigators. People who are going into these facilities. The website currently lists three positions for investigators. Time limits do not allow me to get um, very in-depth at all about Mercy for Animals, what it does or has accomplished or, for that matter, any other of these types of organizations. The Mercy for Animals founder, Milo Runkel, uh, wrote a book um, titled Mercy for Animals, One Man's Quest to Inspire Compassion and Improve the Lives of Farm Animals. In that book, he shares about being a student at a rural Ohio school. He grew up in Ohio where the biology teacher brought to school uh, dead piglets to be dissected. Now, some of you may remember that and you also may remember um, for people my generation, it wasn't piglets, it was cats or frogs. However, one of those piglets on this occasion in Milo's uh, biology class, one of the piglets was still alive. And Milo watched as a student grabbed the piglet and slammed um, her head um, against uh, the floor to kill the piglet. That led Milo to founding Mercy for Animals um, in 1999 and then focusing on first the chicken industry to show how caged hens were being abused. If you go to Wikipedia, you can also read up about Mercy for Animals and you will see that it has accomplished much, including getting McDonald's to ban cages for egg-laying uh, egg hens, um, banning McDonald's saying it doesn't want any of its North American suppliers putting its egg-laying hens in cages. It's done um, – Mercy for Animals has done extensive work in Mexico and Brazil and India. Now, now of course, um, Big Ag – um, has fought back um, against Mercy for Animals and similar organizations. So you know I'm from Iowa. Um, my home state of Iowa has attempted <laughs> three times – they're on their fourth now – three times to criminalize undercover animal rights work. It's something that's called the ag-gag rule. They've attempted to do it and on those three occasions um, – Organizations like Mercy for Animals has taken the state to court and the laws have been declared unconstitutional for infringements on free speech. However, um, undeterred, okay, Iowa just – the Iowa legislature last month just passed a bill criminalizing uh, the placement of surveillance cameras on private property and criminalizing taking samples of soil, water or animal products uh, without permission. I guess the idea is to hide the abuse 
even though consumers don't want animals abused. And that, you know, that is the fact here. That's really what we're talking about. I don't know about you, um, but as I make my I, – I, I am a carnivore. I do eat, you know, beef and chicken and fish. Um, but as I make my choices at the supermarket, I am absolutely searching out uh, for – to the extent that it's 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 true, okay, humane treatment of farm animals. Um, I'm you know I'm 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 buying eggs that are cage free, you know, uh, eggs. I'm you know I'm buying um, uh, beef uh, where there's no antibiotics. That's another issue that we've got, of course, but where possible, it's free range as well. Um, and I think that as consumers, we have the right to demand more of those things. I mean, one of the ways for you to make that demand is support organizations like Animal uh, Mercy for Animals. Another way, though, is to elect people uh, to your legislative and uh, and uh, elected offices by saying, "Hey, you know what? Um, where do you stand on this, and where are you going to be?" Now, I think this, um, you know, animal welfare movement is just the tipping point, frankly of how humans are starting to look at the world differently. Um, not that I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. Maybe that would be for some other show, but I was reading <clears throat> yesterday a story about how trees communicate with each other, ways that humans have never known, and that there are mother trees, that is, you know, the mother tree in forests with mother to all the other trees around it, whether they're the same species or not, and that the trees communicate by, by fungus, and by the transfer of nutrients, um, there is so much about the world that we don't know as humans because we're so self-focused. And so I am equally positive <clears throat> that animals communicate with each other. We just don't know it. We can't hear it. We can barely see it. But that they do. And, and that, they, that they do have feelings, that they do have some senses that are almost human-like. I mean, think about your cat or your dog. Think about that. So, remember, I push boundaries. Think broader here. Think larger about the world. And think about the brave people who are going into facilities, risking criminal prosecution, who, else, who knows what else they're risking, to bring out the stories to let us know about the cruelty that farmed animals are undergoing. It's important stuff. Okay? All right. When we come back from our break, we're going to have author Rob Young talking about his new book, The Sower. And there is a twist on it. I just letting you know because you'll maybe get a smile out of it. Okay. Listening to me, Ellie Krug. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. Go sign up for my newsletter at the, at the website. We'll be back in a sec. And we're back 
on Ellie Tuporno Radio on AM 950. Um, now listen, you know, go check out Mercy for Animals. Please do that. And um, just start to think, as I said in, in the last segment, just start to think about how um, we as humans are treating animals. Okay, farm animals in particular. All right. Now, I told you for the big interview um, that I was excited and that there's a little twist with this interview. And so we're going to unveil that right now. On the line with me is a lawyer, but more importantly for today, author Rob Young, who is the author of a book uh, that just came out uh, titled The, the Sower. And uh, let me just give you the very brief detail about Rob. He was um, born in uh, – well, he describes it as a Mississippi River town in Wisconsin, went to a Winona State uh, University and then uh, Harvard Law School. Um, yeah, pretty good credibility there. Um, he is um, not only a lawyer where he practiced for uh, almost 50 years, but in addition, he is a writer. And that's what brings him here to LE 2.0. Uh, radio. He's written five novels, <clears throat> and he uh, he describes in his bio the first two of those novels are safely locked in a secret drawer to eliminate the chance of injury to either the reader or the literary world. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, he pu- he's published one novel that his first one was Cloud Warriors. His second uh, novel was The Reaper, and that is part of a of a series of novels, and now The Sower is the, is the second book in that series. Rob Young, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. How are you? I'm fine, Ellie, and thank you. Uh, that was maybe the longest introduction I've ever had anywhere. Oh, well, okay. Well, <laughs> well thank you. I hope I didn't bore you. <laughs> no, I, but I knew it by heart. So. All right. Uh, well, we have you here. First, I want to talk about the book, The Sower, right? I'm pronouncing it right, correct? You are You are pronouncing it right. Okay. And, you know, and in your um, press release about the book, the way that you start to describe The Sower, you say, quote, a five-year-old unsolved murder, a U.S. Senate candidate with a past to hide, an alleged art forgery that rocks the art world, all pieces of a multidimensional puzzle facing direct detective Veronica Brilliant and the women of the Monet Detective Agency. And so give us the plot of this book, and then you and I will talk about the twist that involves Ellie Krug. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, the, the plot of the book is uh, the story arc that, that overrides the whole book is to, the attempt to solve this uh, five-year-old cold case murder. Um, and uh, the, the two suspects are a, uh, a, the art forger that is referenced and uh, the Senate candidate. Uh, from the state of Massachusetts, uh, without give, doing any buzzkills, I'll I'll leave it as that. But but there's much there's, there's much more to the book than than that story arc. Um, otherwise, it would just be another whodunit. Uh, but um, there's more. To, there's always more to a whodunit than just uh, who who uh, caused the who uh, is guilty of the murder. Uh, this one has. Uh, has a, a multitude of turns and twists, and uh, and it is uh, uh, one of those twists. I think that uh, I don't think I know that uh, involves you. Go ahead, spill the beans. 
Bill <laughs> Levine, okay. Ronnie Brilliant, Veronica Brilliant, uh, is a transgender uh, woman who is the lead detective on a three-woman, excuse me, private detective agency. And uh, it is uh, her, she and the, the villain, another woman named uh, uh, Magnolia Canaranzi, uh, are the two primary characters in this book. They uh, go head to head, to head uh, with each other, uh, and it is that ongoing clash that is the undertow of this entire novel. It is also, it was my, uh, my challenge and um, my pleasure to uh, write a story that involved a, a trans uh, woman. And you, my friend, uh, were, as you said at the beginning, part of the inspiration for that. In fact, you are, you are my major muse when it comes to Ronnie Brilliant. Well, that just warms my heart. <laughs> I just have to tell you, Rob. <laughs> you know, we should probably give uh, the audience right now the kind of the backstory to all of this. So you and I didn't know each other before, what, three or four years ago. And yep. um, why don't you go ahead and relate how you, how you met me? Okay. Um, I was at a seminar, at a continuing legal education seminar. Uh, and the part of that seminar, I think it was a three-day program. Uh, lawyers are required to take a certain number of credits every three years. And uh, among those credits have to be some credits on bias uh, or elimination of bias. And you were a lecturer at that, uh, at one, at an hour long presentation in that uh, seminar, which I attended. And I found the seminar extremely educational. And, uh, you were nice enough during that seminar toward the end of it to say, if you really have any questions, please feel, feel free to call me, uh, or email me or text me. And I did one of those. I don't remember which, and you and I ended up having lunch. And I remember that, uh, that it was, uh, I think at that very first meeting that we had, that I sort of couched the, the, uh, possibility of, uh, this character and this story. Uh, and you were very supportive, which I appreciate. I also happened to buy your book at, uh, uh, at that meeting, which was also of great help to me in writing the character Ronnie Brilliant. Well, By the way, I'll, I'll plug your book if you haven't, because uh, if, if you haven't, if, if nobody has picked up and read uh, Getting to L.A., you have to do that. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, well, and we only have a little, uh, uh, not barely a minute left uh, before we have to take a break. But, Rob, that's exactly, you know, what happened is you you did reach out to me and we did have lunch and it was – you know, it was delightful. I mean, I'm a relatively very open person and I have this older-ish gentleman, but very distinguished. I want to make sure the audience understands that, who, you know, <laughs> who, who comes to me and says, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm writing this book. You knew you were going to write the book and that you were thinking about me as the character. But what you, what I really respected was that you, 
you 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 wanted help. I mean, you wanted my assistance in helping you to understand what it means to be transgender. And I really respected that. That that you didn't come into the conversation thinking you knew everything. Um, and you were willing to uh, let me do some educating. Um, and I really thought that that was just really very, um, uh, very charitable of you. Well, I have been told on numerous occasions, along with a lot of other authors, that uh, write what you know. And my feeling about that is if you only write what you know, you're going to write very short stories. Uh, and if you challenge yourself to use your writing, uh, using fiction as a vehicle to learn and understand and, uh, you know, broaden your understanding of, of mankind, of humankind, uh, that's a worthwhile endeavor. So I, I would never uh, deign to try to write a book like this with a character such as Ronnie uh, on my own in a vacuum. So your your input, your your reading of the book, editing, giving me advice, telling me where I was way off base and all of that was absolutely um, invaluable. And you should know, I don't think I've told you this before, is that the I've had several people in the LGBTQ community read this book before it came out. And with without fail, they have said they thought that Ronnie Brilliant was treated uh well, reasonably, and and was a fair reflection of of uh, a trans woman uh, in a in a role that wasn't necessarily tied to uh, gender transition or being a member of the LGBTQ community. Well, and Rob, I've got to stop you there because we've got to take a break. But when we come back, I want to pick up on that thought about just treating a transgender person just as someone, you know, who happens to be trans, but the story does not revolve around that. Okay, so when we come back, we'll do that. Uh, Listeners, we've been speaking with uh, author Rob Young, Young, excuse me, of the uh, author of the new book, The Sower. When we come back, you'll be able to find out where you can get that book. And we'll be back in a second. Thanks. On Ellie 2.0 Radio, that bumper music that you just heard, one of my very favorite songs in the world by The Pretenders. It's titled Hymn to Her. It is my theme song, believe it or not. So there you go. All right. Before we took our break, uh, we were speaking with author Rob Young about his new book, The Sower, um, which is out um, Rob, before we do anything else, because I know I've got audience members right now wondering where they can get this book, where can people buy your book? And uh, you have also a newsletter. So please let the let folks know right now. Okay. Well, uh, you can buy the book uh, locally at Once Upon a Crime Bookstore. Uh, when you can do that either on, online or you can do it in person or with a phone call. You can also buy it uh, at any other bookstore. You probably have to. I think uh, Once Upon a Crime right now is the only one that actually has it in stock. But you can order it from any bookstore. 
uh, including Barnes and Noble. You can get it online at uh, Kobo or uh, or Goodreads or at uh, Amazon Books, uh, or you can get it from me directly if you'd like one signed uh, by going to my website, and I'll give you the website address. It's uh, www.robjung, R-O-B-J-U-N-G, dot com, writer, I'm sorry, robjungwriter, W-R-I-T-E-R dot com, www.robjungwriter.com. Um, and while there, uh, I write a newsletter, and I'd love it if you'd sign up for the newsletter. It's called The View from Middle Spunk Creek. It's a little tongue-in-cheek slice of life that gives you a little bit about the literary world, a lot about social justice, uh, uh, and a good dose of humor. So if uh, if you'd sign up for that, uh, I'd love to have you come along with uh, the other 1,250 people or so that uh, join me monthly for that newsletter. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Um, so, so listeners, um, we, before we took the break, we were talking about how what Rob has gone and done is created a lead character for a mystery – who happens to be a transgender woman, um, but the story does not does not focus on her being transgender. I mean, there is some storyline around that, but the primary thing is it's just as as any other you know private detective and a detective in a mystery. Some of the challenges that uh, Ronnie Brilliant, the transgender woman, faces now, and and I and I help Rob. I helped you, you know, uh, with some of the, uh, you know. Uh, uh, rough edges about what you know would be acceptable for Ronnie to be doing or saying, and and I just want to tell you, so listeners, I I read a, I read um, the draft of this book at the beginning of the pandemic last year, and I have to tell you, it is so much fun. It is a fun book to read. It, it Rob is a wonderful writer. But, you know, he's just gives you really great detail. He sucks you in right away. And it's just a good, fun read. So I just want you to know that. But the other thing, Rob, that I helped you with, but that you are also well on your way, is that Ronnie Brilliant falls in love. She has a love interest. And uh, tell us about that, will you please? Well, Ronnie um, gets uh, introduced in, as part of the investigation to a, uh, a St. Paul uh, police officer named Bob Decker. Um, and she gets introduced because Decker is a friend of another member of her private detective agency. And all three of the women involved in the agency, plus Decker, are traveling south to a town in southern Minnesota to lay a trap for uh, a would-be uh, killer, and or and a suspected killer, I should say. And uh, so they they head out of town. I'm just going to read you just a little segment of this because it's it's it reflects what you're talking about. Um, so Decker says to the three women as they're getting prepared, if there's any sign of trouble, press this button. He's referring to radios. He's outfitted with them. Uh, if you press the top of the button, you can talk when you release it. You can hear what the other person is saying, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, by the time they rolled through the village of Colt, all radios had been tested and proven workable. You never know where the threat might come from, Decker warned them. So don't wait to make sure there's no trouble before you let the rest of us know. Be vigilant were his last words. 
they barreled down Highway 52 across the Cannon River and skirting the edge of the village of Cannon Falls, lost in their own thoughts until Carrie broke the silence. Is your radio on? Granny ran her fingers over the oblong button on the side of her radio. No, why? What do you think of Decker? Carrie asked. You mean as a cop or otherwise? Otherwise. Let's see. 6'2", 0% body fat, a little distinguishing gray at the temples, looks kind of like George Clooney with a crew cut. I haven't really noticed. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's the introduction between uh, Ronnie and Bob Decker. And it turns into a romance uh, that uh, goes through uh, the usual uh, twists and turns and, and insecurities of a romance. But uh, I, I think I think you need to make a confession uh, Ellie, about Bob Decker. <laughs> well, well, the, well, and you did not know this, but I, I have this thing about you know uh, people in uniform. Okay, I mean, I really, <laughs> really do, and um, and you did not know that. So you write this character into the book that he's an ex-cop and he's you know just you know looks like George Clooney. You did not know that, okay? But I've got to tell you, um, as I read it. Uh, you know, your draft, I'm like falling, just as Ronnie was falling in love with Decker, I was falling in love <laughs> with Bob Decker as well. Um, if there's a Bob Decker out there right now listening to this show, will you contact me, please? I guarantee you it will be worth your while. <laughs> uh, that's Ellie Krug at Krug at gmail.com. But here's the other thing. I know, you know, Rob, you and I are laughing, okay? But here is the thing. And here is my thanks to you, all right? And, and I'm serious about this. And this is why I wanted to help you. I mean, you're a nice guy and all that stuff, and you're a writer, and I'm another writer, and that's, you know, that's good. But I really wanted to help you because you, the way that you had laid it out was that Ronnie would just be a woman who just happens to be transgender. And by... Having this love affair that, you know, she has this crush on Bob Decker and then Bob Decker has no problem falling in love with her and being attracted to her. Rob, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I cannot tell you how important that is because many people reading your book will never have ever met a transgender person. And what you are doing, and I, I, I cannot stress this enough, you're normalizing what it means to be transgender. And for that, my friend, I am so very thankful. Um, I'm humbled that you would, <laughs> that, that, that you say that. I, uh, I try, I guess my thought process is that uh, we are all normal. We all breathe the same air. <laughs> we all bleed the same color. Um, and it, you know, that, that, uh, that we have distinguishing features that make us exceptional, but I, uh, I don't think that the, the characterization of, of someone as LGBTQ, black, brown, red, yellow, Etc. Um, white, um, you know, makes should make any difference in the eyes of the world, and so consequently, 
uh, Ronnie's just an ordinary person who just happens to be transgender. I'm an ordinary person that happens to be an old white guy. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because in my next segment, I'm going to be talking about older white guys. So thank you for giving me that like approach. There you go. There's the segue. (laughs) But, you know, so but this is important, uh, Rob, because, you know, right now and you and I have talked about this. Transgender people are being attacked across America. Yes. You know, and we're being made other in a variety of ways. And here you are not making us other. Here you are just making us one of us, one, you know, one of us, you know, making us just like everyone else. And I, I, you know, um, it, it is, I'm just, I am just so grateful for that. Um, but you know, the, but it's, you know, but Ronnie, her being trans is not, you know, that's not the focus of the story. The focus of the story is all the trials and tribulations that she goes through, that the that the uh, Monet detective agency goes through. And you've got all of these twists and turns in this book that are just wonderful. Tell me this, my friend. OK, sure. What how did you how did you transition from being a lawyer with Harvard roots, Harvard Law School roots um, of, you know, nearly 50 years to being a writer? Well, I've been, I was a newspaper writer before I was a lawyer, for, uh-huh. for starters. And then lawyering generally requires a lot of writing. So the writing part was easy. Uh, as a newspaper writer, I used to, you know, call in stories that other people would transcribe. So, so the putting the words on paper was simple. So, um, I'm also a storyteller and I, started that out telling stories to my grandkids and after my grandkids got older they said grandpa did you ever write any of those down and i said no and thought maybe i better start doing that (laughs) so that kind of that's kind of what triggered it actually to start writing novels um and it's the one thing that struck me so much was somebody asked me the other night of what was the biggest surprise in writing and i said how little i knew when i started writing novels that's why those first two novels are tucked away in, in a secret place with a key thrown away. So, Rob, hold on. But before uh, we go, and we only have a minute left, <clears throat> what age were you, you know, when you when you published uh, Cloud Warriors? How old were you when you did that? 75. <laughs> I love hey, it. If, I love if, it. If, if George Burns can start a singing career at 90, I can start a writing career at 75. But see, but... But but do you understand? I mean, that is such great modeling for all of us. You're never done, and you always have yeah. the chance to reinvent, right? Absolutely, you uh, you can reinvent yourself at any any time. Uh, just just all you got to do is pry yourself away from the front of the television set. <laughs> okay, well, listen, uh, Rob, we have to go, unfortunately, but I want to make sure that we uh, button this up with you are the author of the brand new book, The, the Sower, that is out. Um, it's available. Go ahead and tell us again where. It, uh, it's uh, in stock at Once Upon a Crime Books, uh, 26th and Lindale in Minneapolis. Uh, it's online. You can order it at any bookstore. Or you can get it uh, from me at my website, uh, www.robjungwriter.com. Well, Rob, I really have enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. Thanks for asking for my help with the book, my small help. And I wish you the best and all the success with the book. 
Oh, Ellie, thank you so much for having me on, and you were a great, great help. Without you, the book couldn't have happened. Oh, that's so very kind of you. Okay, well, thank you so very much. Listeners, when we come back, we're going to do go into the C block, and we're going to talk about older white men, just like Rob just signaled. And when we come back, okay, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio, AM 950. We'll be back in a second. Ellie 2.0 Radio, Ellie Krug here. Hey, I hope that that interview with Rob Young made you smile. Um, and I've got to tell you, I, I had to cackle. Uh, I mean, you heard it on the radio. I hope that I didn't hurt anybody's ears. When I, 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 I had not known what the answer was when I asked Rob, when did you like begin writing, begin publishing? He's like 75. <laughs> I mean, come on. You're never too late. It is never too late listeners, to take a different course, to take something else on, to go in a different way, okay? So find his book, The Sower, go get it, and as you read about Ronnie Brilliant, know that Ellie Krug was the inspiration. I'm going to smile about that for maybe a couple of, maybe an hour today, so I don't let that stuff go to my head very much. All right, we're in my C block, and I want to talk about uh, two conversations I've had this week. Um, with um, white color men, okay? You know, everyone you understand, remember, if you've been listening to this show, you know I don't refer to white people as white people. I refer to them as white color people because most white people don't believe that white's a, a, a color, actually. They think it's normal or base. But I've had, I had two co- conversations this week with white color men. One uh, was, uh, you know, both uh, one man in his early 40s, another probably in his, um, I don't know, early 50s. The first man I talked to, white color man, uh, was lamenting uh, loss of power and saying how in today's world right now where we are, okay, that white color men are marginalized and, and, and that, you know, he felt the pressure of that and felt maybe the pressure, not maybe, but felt the pressure of lost opportunity, maybe the inability to continue to move up uh, the ladder. Um, and I want to acknowledge, okay, that that probably I, – I, with him, I acknowledge that that was a real feeling. And with him, I acknowledge, yes, the world is changing. Um, and um, and with him, there was, you know, maybe two ways to approach it, you know, was – one was to say, well, hey, you know, that's payback for the, the centuries now that white color men have controlled America and much of the world, by the way um, – you know, but I'm not that way. I'm, I'm not going to, I mean, th- th- that's the way some people might respond, but I'm, no, I don't, that, I'm not like that. My response back was some understanding and some empathy about how um, I appreciated that the world is changing. Um, and, 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 and that, you know, I, I, I felt for him, okay? On the other hand, I also, when I, I talked to him and I said, well, you know, the world is changing. I mean, people are getting opportunities now that they didn't have before. I don't like that word opportunities. People are, you know, people are getting the chance to, to actually find their footing and make their way. And that is, you know, people who are diverse. And that is incredibly important for America right now. 
The other person, the other white color man that I spoke with was, you know, maybe 10 years younger, um, is in a position, um, we don't need to get into the details of it, but he's in a political position where he is one of several other white color men, okay, in this political entity. And um, he's the youngest by far, and he is the one that is certainly most um, progressive. The others are fairly entrenched and not curious at all about the world. Why would they be? Because they've got all of the power that they could ever want. Um, and he wants to use this uh, younger man. He wants to use his skin color as a, you know, as a tool for change. You know, as to use what influence he has to help shape the landscape to make a difference. And I, you know, um, and, and from him, I didn't hear anything about, you know, woe is me. Um, uh, and, and, and again, with the first person, first white color man I spoke with, it was, he was not, um, it, it was, it was a fine discussion and I don't want to demean him in any way. Okay. It was that discussion, though, was an acknowledgement that the world is changing. With this younger uh, white color man, it was not anything about acknowledgments. It was, I know the world is changing and I want to do what I can to make it change even further. And so those are differences in perspective. Me, what do I think about all of this? I think that, you know, power... Um, is embedded in everything associated with white color men. It is. This is about white color men losing or ceding power. It is. The dynamics are changing. I mean, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of George Floyd. Actually, yes, we are coming up on that. That will be this week coming up. Everything is changing. Our, the question is, is how elastic is America? Do we have the elasticity to get that change in place and for it to stick before the country breaks? Because white color men don't want to lose their power. Think about that. I'll come back and talk about that some other time, but think about it in the meantime. All right. I need to do a wrap-up here. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who is always on top of things and just – rock star as far as I'm concerned. And to you, my listeners, I appreciate that you call or that you that you listen every week. Uh, I'll get a live show up sometime this summer and you can call in and talk to me. But I appreciate that you tune in. Appreciate that you consider everything that I have to say. In this week coming up, and next week is going to be a, um, a Best of LA, so you'll hear from me in two weeks with a fresh show. In the meantime, go out and make a difference, positive difference in the world. Take care and be well. Bye.